Hey, it's Beth here. Episode 421. I've been missing in action for a week because we had company. Real company. Not just my friend Natasha and her, and her, and her little girls. This was a couple. A brand new couple. He's 78. He's kid's best friend from five years old. And his new girlfriend, who I didn't even know, they came. It was going to be two nights. Then it got reduced to one night. They were thinking that was smart. And then, because I told them, we told them, you know, you have to love dogs. She doesn't love dogs. Okay. They came anyway. Boris was on his best behavior. I was on my best behavior. I bought brand new blanket, pillows, pillowcases, shower curtain, and towels all in white so that they would think we were clean. Their first impression would be cleanliness with no dog hair on it. But they stayed longer and longer and longer. They were having fun. Boris and I were on the edge of our seats. We were dying. He had one accident. They didn't see it. He was exhausted. I was exhausted. I just woke up like an hour ago. And I was like, my God, it's Monday. So went over the paper and there was a story in the Modern Love, the best one ever. It's a TV series on Netflix, but this one, when they make it, they're gonna win an Emmy because it's amazing. Okay, so this, this woman is writing about her daughter. She starts with 20 stuffed animals lay ominously shoulder to shoulder on their bellies in a perfect circle. My 11-year-old daughter is in the center. They were patients in her veterinarian clinic, students in her classroom, aliens and explorations in safe and explorations in space, all these little stuffed animals, and there were soldiers when she when she started a war. They led her in battle. She put them in front. I think that's very clever. She said, I want to give away my stuffies to her mother. When she came in and saw them in the circle, the mother was like, what? Why? She was shocked. The little girl's face puckered. Because I know you thought they were stuffies, but for me they weren't. They were my friends. I was never lonely because I had them. They used to come alive. And now they don't. That happened to me. I had this huge robot in the closet. He was a man. I mean, I guess it's complicated with uh, sexual things, but I didn't, he was just my bodyguard and he was just my friend. And then one day he wasn't in my closet. I was riveted by this story. She says, when they were patients in her clinic suffering from injuries, I treated them with band-aids. I saved them. They were, they were soldiers in my top secret adventures when I solved the world's problems. She would document each one of these animals in her veterinarian clinic. Name, age, hometown, what they liked to eat, what they were scared of and what they loved and what their little symptoms were. This kid is amazing. The mother gave her a big hug. She wriggled out of the hug. Her shoulder dropped and she said, you should have told me. You should have told me, mom. The mother goes, what? You should have told me that my that my imagination was going to give out. That it was only in my imagination and they weren't going to be there forever. You should have told me, Mom. My imagination is gone. And you never told me that would happen. I told her in more detail. 
about the physical things that would happen in puberty, but I didn't tell her about the spiritual things. She was right. But again, I'm never going to be able to play with my animals. I'm never going to be anything. And this woman is a hospice chaplain, so she understands that this child is going through grief. This is so amazing, and it is grief. I forgot all the implications of puberty. It was horrible. It was my childhood was over. I love this little girl. So when the girl stopped crying, the mother said, we'll replace, we'll replace what you're doing, Mary. When kids stop playing, pretend they start doing other things, like um, um, making things. You know, this woman is, is flailing. Like, um, like my brain was racing, her brain was racing. Knit sweaters or do woodworking. You could make bookshelves or a little step stool. The girl stopped crying and looked at her. Woodworking? She said her words dripping with derision and incredu incredulity. She was, incred she was incredulous. I had broken every rule I had ever made for myself being a grief counselor. In my panic with my own child, I betrayed her grief because it was so painful to witness. She told me all her beloved friends had died and I told her to make a stool. I made the biggest mistake. As a grief, grief counselor, I tried to fix it. This is such a great story. And the Velveteen Rabbit, the Velveteen Rabbit becomes real because he was loved so fiercely. She tells her daughter all about it. She, they hadn't read that story. They didn't need that story because this kid had 20 stuffed animals. Mary's love and loss of her stuffed friends turned her into a teenager, the teenager she is today. It wasn't wrong about what would happen next. It took Mary a few months to figure out what she wanted to make. This is what she wanted to make. I love this kid. She wanted to make slime. Buckets and buckets of slime. This is what the mother deserves. She deserves this after woodworking. You deserve slime. You screwed up. Oh my God. Wow. The coffee table. Once a house for stuffies became a lab table with the precise mixing of glue, borax, and glitter. She tried out for the middle school play and inhabited that role in a way only a child who played pretend until the fifth grade could. That is so great. She joined a choir after many more months. Oh, there are times she's, this mother sits in the pews and she just can't believe that her daughter has grown up and singing and is part of this huge group that she loves so much. In the end, this is good. This is the end of the story, okay? Mary didn't give up all of her stuffed animals. She kept the special ones, which she still sleeps with sometimes when she needs them. The night we put them away, Mary went back to retrieve one to sleep with. That was how it began, okay? Over the next few years, others reemerged and were put in the bed. That's how she knew that her daughter was upset and what she was upset about. Because if it was a fighter, one of the soldiers, she was angry. If it was one of the veterinarian clinic stuffed animals, she was sad and injured. So she kept them. The mother kept everything in the attic. That's why it's so great to have an attic. The love that she or anyone pours into the world will always exist. Oh my gosh, that should be a story. Well, it was, and we just read it. Okay, so then the Oscars. 
you know, big wins. I loved that Indian dance. I thought it was precision. I thought it was beautiful. Um, John Travolta made me cry. The whale that he won was just amazing. I was so happy. But this woman has written a book saying that the Oscar dresses that people wear speak to the time in history that we go through. Like during the Depression, the woman wore the most amazing, glamorous clothes, and they really did. Nobody comes close anymore. This year, I don't know what the big bows represent. I don't know what all that fabric and then all that see-through stuff represents because she, she's not, she's not even touching it. She hardly gets past Audrey Hepburn and Grace Kelly. She, the closest she gets is um, Sharon Stone wearing her um, husband's white shirt with that gorgeous skirt, and she did look fabulous. And that's Zendaya. Um, copied it in, 19, in 2022. She doesn't touch today because I'll tell you what, those bows, the, the size of those bows is just, I can't explain it either. The um, the Banshees of Einisham, however you pronounce it, everybody pronounced it differently last night, um, didn't win anything, not really, but there was an article and I, I did love the sweaters that they wore. Of course, the Scottish call them jumpers, but they were all they were all knit by this woman named Delia Barry. She's adorable. She's 83. She knit all the leading men's sweaters in this movie, and I mean, she did like six of them. And her best one, she felt, was the one that um, was white with the big collar. It's a very Scottish look. She's knitted so many jumpers that she can't even stop. It's all she does all day long. She loves it. You can see it in her face. And they'd include a navy roll neck, which I loved. And Colin Farrell looked great in them, but she also did Brendan Gleeson, and she made him look great in the purple ribbed fisherman's sweater. So she should have been at the Oscars, but she wasn't. She didn't want to go. She had no interest in any of that fuss. But she's adorable. So here's to Delia and those sweaters that I thought were a major character in that movie. So who knew? So that was great. Okay, now, proof of life. We've got finally clutter is coming back. Instead of those gorgeous rooms that everybody lives in on the internet and Instagram and all that, we have a messy room. But this woman, we're as always, we take it way too far way too far. Always the pendulum swings way up in one direction and has to swing all the way back in the other. So the woman who is crushing TikTok, she has a casa cucaracha, a birdhouse on her kitchen floor to house her cockroaches. I mean, what is that? What is that? Why is that good? Why can't we just be a little bit messy? Why do we always have to go so far that I can't go with you? I can't figure it out. I'm always like, uh, just trying to follow, trying to stay with it, trying to be with the group. And then, come on, nobody wants a casa for cockroaches in their kitchen. I don't care. I really don't. So then on Instagram, which I don't do, and TikTok, which I don't do, there's this beautiful couple, and they're getting married in Dubai. And... Um, He's Palestinian and she's Moroccan, and they ha have become this huge sensation. 
1.5 million views on this little picture that they put of themselves. And so now they're getting married, they love each other, and they really do. It's, they're very cute together. But this is what the world wants. They want people to get along, they want people to get married. And she sang an original song at the wedding. Of course, she's TikTok sensation. And I know these people are really in love. It's not just because together they're amazing. Together, you know, divided they fall, together they are 1.5. That's the beginning, the TikTok, when every single thing they do is at least, it's got 1.3 million followers. As quick as can be, that's what happened to these people. She wrote this song, Candlelights in KFC, and it's an, it's an instant hit. Like, I, I guess I should figure out how to get on these sites because it's about KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, her favorite, his favorite restaurant. That's all it takes. Wow. One thing that people always used to tell me is that love is easy, but in the past, love felt like a lot of drama and a lot of heartbreak. From the very first moment, love felt easy with him. He's pretty cute. He looks like Omar Sharif. Okay, I can see why that's easy. Uh-huh. Okay. So, then we go on to Mel Brooks. And Mel Brooks, you know, is he's got this new show, which I haven't seen because I haven't even seen the old one. The um, history, you know, the history of life or whatever. Um, it's the world, world history, whatever they called it. I didn't like the first one. It's too chaotic for me. But um, he became Cary Grant's best friend, which is hard to believe. He's 96, which isn't hard to believe when you look at him, although he's really cute for 96. Um, madly in love with and married to Anne, Branca, Anne Bancroft, which is hard to believe too. A lot about him is very hard to believe. Um, he started on the show of shows and I didn't realize that um, <laughs> that it was that wild set. Things like crazy things happened and he wanted to quit. And he didn't feel like he was of any importance to the show. He thought like everybody thought he was the worst writer. So he's having anxiety attacks that were so bad he had to go to therapy. And the therapist said, okay, here's what you do. You go in and you say, I want a raise. And if I don't get a raise, I'm gonna quit. And that's how he found out that he was worth it because they gave him a raise. And right after that, he had no more troubles. I mean, that's brilliant. That is actually br brilliant. He smoked them out and he found out that they really did love him or want him or he was a value and he never act acted stupid again. But Mr. Caesar, Sid Caesar, was a huge crazy man. I mean, that, that really doesn't show that much um, on the Dick Van Dyke show. One time, uh, Mr. Mel Brooks uh, said, you know, I can't stand the smell of cigars. Uh, could you put it out, Sid? And Sid grabbed him by the collar and belt and hung him, uh, hung him out the window of a Chicago hotel room. And he said, got enough fresh air there? Mel, are you gonna be okay? That's how it was on this show. One time Mel was with this guy, Caesar. I mean, I had no idea, it's, he looks so sweet. Mel Brooks says that another terrifying night in Chicago with Sid Caesar, his car grazed a taxi and the taxi driver yelled a vulgarity, I know, at the TV star. 
Melbrook shivered, knowing what was coming. Sid got out of his car, went over to the cab driver, who wore a yellow cap and black leather bow tie, and yelled, Do you remember your birth? Do you remember being born? Think back. You're going to enter the world. What are your thoughts? Then Mr. Caesar reached in, grabbed the driver by the bow tie, and started pulling his head through the little clipper window, the side window, and said, We're going to reenact it right now. I had to bite Sid's hand to get him to let go. He would have made a snake out of that guy. That's incredible that he got away with it. He wouldn't have lasted a minute in the world today. Wow. That is amazing. So then it just goes on and on. Now, why I'm telling you about this is because his wife died, Anne Bancroft died in 2005. Mel Brooks never dated again. Once you are married to Anne Bancroft, others don't seem to be appealing. I love him. I love him. I love people. That's 2005. That is 18 years of staying that way and believing that. That's, that's what I think love should be. I love that. And of course, everyone knows after that, he and, you know, Carl Reiner would had TV trays and they'd watch television at Carl's house. And that's what they were, just best friends. They'd watch Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. And once a week, he made him watch Random Harvest. It is a good movie with Ronald Coleman. And Mr. Brooks, Brooks recalled, Carl always, always said, if you don't cry watching the end, you're not alive. They both cried their eyes out every single time. I think that is adorable. And then he died. That's just amazing. Now he's kind of lost. So he came up with this idea and they're coming out with a history of the world part two and it keeps him busy and happy. It's not as good as Carl Reiner and sitting there with TV trays, but it's better than nothing. So then I get to the um, front page. They're on the bottom. Adieu to music of the night. The Phantom of the Opera is closing after a 35 year run. I saw it three times. The best Phantom I saw was in San Antonio with my kids. He was an Irishman and he was mercurial, scary, romantic. He was everything. We didn't move and nobody else moved in the entire theater. Usually road shows are horrible. That guy was incredible. And then Malachi McCourt, who is a writer and a man about town, He's 91. He's Frank McCourt's brother, the guy who did Angela's Ashes, and he was a raconteur in New York. He and Frank came up with this crazy Broadway show called Two Blackguards. Anyway, this guy is so funny. And the thing that's great about him, absolutely great about him, is that they kicked him out of hospice. He wouldn't die. I just, I love that. I never heard of anybody being kicked out of hospice for not dying quick enough. <laughs> so great. So anyway, his um, his life was uh, a little crazy, of course, and he opened bars and um, he had a radio show for one week and it was canceled because it was so outrageous. He just, he just couldn't handle real life. One interesting thing that I didn't know was that in 1958, women were not allowed at all to go to a bar single, alone. They had to be with a man. 
1958. That's crazy. Because the world thought that they were prostitutes. Every single one of them. So he had this restaurant. I mean, he had this bar. And he had the women come in single. And he talked to them at the bar so they weren't alone. And he'd make friends with them. And he is responsible for showing New York that they were wrong about that. And right after that, um, singles bars opened. And everybody got to um, enjoy themselves. So there, he saved the world. Now singles can go to bars alone. That is so insulting to do that to women. My God. So he would make an occasional TV appearance and usually blow it. And on his radio show, the first week, he had Richard Harris, Sean Connery, Muhammad Ali, and then Betty Friedan came on, and some Columbia University students who protested, and the show was canceled. <laughs> they were protesting on the show, and it just went so far that the, sta that the station had to cancel him because it was too frightening. And that was, oh my gosh, that was in 1968. Oh man, I can understand. Well, I, I think it's awful, but... He was, he, he knew everybody in New York. Anytime anybody was coming to New York, they wanted to be on his radio show. So he had stars and interesting people lined up for six months and that dumb radio station just panicked. He was on Ryan's Hope, my favorite soap opera, and he played the bartender and he was great at it. So here he is, no longer in hospice, having the time of his life and the greatest thing of all, is he's going to St. Patty's and he's going to be in the parade and he's going to be with his wife who's been with him for a long time. He finally learned how to be married and to be um, monogamous. And so his wife Siobhan is gonna be with him and two of his nine grandchildren and they're going to go to every single party and they're gonna go in the parade and they're going to do everything anybody wants and it's going to be green, green, green. He cannot believe at 91. Every day he wakes up and he's happy without a coffin over his head. And that's how he's entering the St. Patrick's Day Parade. But the world is going to rejoice because they thought he was dead. <laughs> and he's not. And they don't know that yet. So they just, they're going to find out right now at this parade. So I'm thrilled to see somebody getting kicked out of hospice. I hope I can do that. That would be great. Now, this is the last story I think is really cute. Judy Bloom is being noticed. Finally. She wrote all these great books. They sold thousands, millions of copies. But the Hollywood executives and the writers just didn't know how to make a good story out of her books. Now, what's interesting right now is that the executives and the writers were girls who grew up on the books and they know what the books mean. And Rachel, Rachel McAdams and all the stars want to be in. Molly Ringwald did a documentary because they read these books. So now, and she's still here. It's great. Judy Bloom is still here to see her reemergence being done correctly because the girls who are doing it can catch the feeling of the book. It's not simple. It's, it's deep. So she said, I just had to live long enough. I just had to wait till all the kids who grew up with me got positions of power in Hollywood, said Miss Bloom at 85. And of course they did. And of course it's happening. And she knew it would happen. She'd been through tumultuous divorces, 
I can't believe anybody would ever divorce her. Fame came and went. Her books were, she hated everything that was done with her books. And now, they would, the guys would say like 30 years ago, Judy, sweetheart, what do you like? What do you like to do? The men would ask. And they were always men, she wrote. We want to work with you. We just don't understand these books. We don't know how to adapt it. What's happening in this book? Nothing. That's what happened. Now it's been replaced by all these young girls who were Judy Bloom fanatics. I think that's so cute. And the stories that are coming out are better. So if you have young girls and they're, they got to the essence of every single one of the stories. So that's a good thing. If you got teenagers, Judy Bloom is great. So that's what I've got. Judy Bloom's making it at 85. We've got Malachi coming out, beating the hospice people, just wearing them out, wearing them down at 91 and going to St. Pat's. So these are our heroes. These are my heroes because they're older than I am and they're still here and they're still doing things. So good for Judy and good for Malachi and uh, good for me. I got, I got my house back and Boris, is, Boris and I have calmed down. Whew. I mean, I haven't, you know, I haven't had, I don't have to have breakfast, I don't have to have lunch, and I don't have to have dinner. I can just nibble like I do my life away. So, anyway, it's going to be a good week. The blue bonnets are out in Texas. I hope springtime's going to be with you, and I'm in a great mood. I'm, I'm sick because I got sick because they wore me out. But I'm recovering, so I'm just not a hostess anymore. Not a hostess for more than like six hours. That's all I can can do. Everything fades in me. My smile, my ability to to think, my ability to speak. It's like Boris and I were just staring at each other like, oh my God, what do we do? So anyway, if you want to, you know, I know my, my limit now is six hours. I'm stintillating for six hours. After that, I am a deer in the headlights, just staring. So anyway, but it's all back together now. And my little life, my little tiny life is back together. And you try to stay sane, I'm gonna stay sane today. And I will be back.